Hey, welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. We are celebrating, in a quick reaction podcast, the Buffalo Bills here on December 10th, beating the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City, their house, in a very, very close affair. Um, and as it was best summarized by by somebody that you know, I, I'm failing to name on, on X right now, holy crap, the Bills won one of, quote, those games. Um, and it really felt like that, right? One of those close games that have been all the, the rage this week to talk about. Um, they pulled one out, and it was that the defense that actually sealed the deal for the Bills. How are you feeling, my friend? How are you feeling? You know, we don't do a lot of reaction pods, JJ. I think the only reaction pod you and I have ever done immediately after the game was I want to say it was back in 2021 after the it was it after 20 no it was 2020 the lead into the 2022 season when the Bills beat the Rams I think is the only time that we did that because we were like the Bills have announced their arrival they are a true <laughs> Super Bowl contender 17 they, and 0 all the way <laughs> right yeah. right they're gonna they're gonna make history and then well we know how all that went last year but um but this game warrants a reaction pod. For a few reasons. One, the nature of the victory, which it was an ugly win. It was an imperfect win. But these are ugly, imperfect games that the Bills have found themselves on the losing side of more often than not. Secondly, it comes against a, I think we can say this, a rival. The Bills have absolutely owned the regular season matchup, for whatever that's worth, against the Kansas City Chiefs winning three out of the last five since 2020. Um, and then third, and I think most important, this agonizingly keeps the Bills' playoffs hope, playoff hopes alive. They are now what feels like they're in a, a dozen-team way tie with a bunch of other teams at 7-6. and six. Still on the outside looking in of the playoff picture, but this was a massive hurdle they needed to get over, JJ, in order to keep their playoff hopes afloat. So I, there's a couple of different ways that we could go with this, and we are, again, unpracticed in the way of reaction. But I think other than the general stress of watching how the Bills close this out, there were a couple of things that jumped right off the screen at me during this game. You mentioned one. It was the performance of the defense. Now, I think a lot of McDermott haters and a lot of folks that have been talking about their aggression of this defense, like me and you, due to age and due to injury, are going to say that, yes, the defense did good, but against an inferior, an inferior offense. This Chiefs offense, I think we can all agree, is not what it has been in the past. And we covered this on the pregame pod. They don't have the wide receivers that they used to. And I think, you know, one of the things, JJ, you and I did not discuss um, at enough length about the, the variance between this year's group and last year's group for Kansas City, speaking of this offense, is the departure of Eric Bieniemy. If you look at it, all this team really did in the wide receiver core was lose Juju Smith-Schuster and gain Rasheed Rice, who I think we would all say Rice, even as a rookie right now, is maybe the superior product. But they lost one of their absolute cornerstones that helped, and I think in an underrated way, build this Chiefs offense to what it is. You know, there used to be a time, JJ, where you could throw any defense imaginable at the Chiefs, and they were kind of like the Borg from Star Trek, where they would always eventually assimilate. And it could be because of the downgrade from Biennemi to Matt Nagy. Nothing against Matt Nagy. He's a nice guy, but Eric Biennemi is one of the best to ever do it. So you could look at the downgrade from Nagy to Biennemi and say, maybe this team is not as well-equipped from a coaching and personnel standpoint as they have in the past. 
in order to assimilate to what teams are throwing at them. And McDermott gave them a lot of different looks. He threw some of those multiple looks, some of those odd man fronts, some of those all out blitzes um, against Mahomes to try to generate as much pressure as he could and force Mahomes to hang on to the ball just a little bit longer every time. Um, and I think it worked to great effect. I am on the side, JJ, of I want to credit McDermott and I want to credit this defense with what was a really gutsy performance against whatever you want to say about how this team, how the Kansas City uh, Chiefs are coached and the personnel they have. It was still a Patrick Mahomes-led attack. And this Buffalo Bills defense held that unit to under 20 points and did something to Mahomes that no one's ever done, handed them a second straight loss. Yeah, no, I think that those are both great points. And I think that the Eric Bieniemy one is one that's lost a little bit. Um, you're right. It, it felt a little different watching this Chiefs attack because they seemed more like the average team that's a good team that the Bills have played this year, right? Like the Bills have lost, you know, have, have let other teams sort of plod down the field and get in scoring position and score because of some of those, you know, old slow factors of the defense that we talk about so much. And it felt like that too. In previous years against the Chiefs, it felt lethal. It didn't seem that way. And again, I don't think that the change of, you know, talent, whether we're talking about the tackles on the outside or um, the outside talent of wide receiver, was such a stark change that it would account for that contrast. And so I would agree with that. I think that you can also look at, you know, the Washington Commanders and what Eric Bieniemy has been able to do with Sam Howell to see that there's a pretty potent attack that he's, he's capable of putting together. Um, and the chiefs are, are missing that a little, um, I will say though, to play devil's advocate, just like so many games, the bills have played and lost close this year. There's so many small factors that can be counted for this. And one factor that I'm sure everyone's going to be talking about is Kadarius Tony lining up offsides. It's going to be the play yes. of the, it's going to be the play that this game is remembered by. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, certainly Chiefs fans, even Patrick Mahomes are chirping about how this was like some sort of gift that the Bills were given. But if you look at the uh, a film, you know, the sideline angle, that line judge, it was so horrendously obvious. It wasn't even one of those gray areas where you're like, yeah, he's a little forward, but I'm going to let this one slide because they usually do. It's a rare penalty to call because rarely a player is so obnoxiously out of position that you could be counted offsides ahead of the ball. Um, but Kadarius Stoney was, and it was a self-inflicted wound. And what I think that that said to me is, yes, the defense did a good job in those last couple of drives, but also they, without that penalty, gave up a touchdown to go behind uh, by four. And on top of that, it looked like the Chiefs are able to lose in a very billsy fashion, which is a nice thing to see. We haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And Patrick Mahomes you know, if they continue on this trend, uh, he's going to have to play a playoff road game for the first time in his career if it, it keeps going this way. I mean, although, listen, the Broncos, what are they're one game out now? I think they're yes. one game out. Now, they've, now they have played all of their games against the Chiefs and they've split. But, I mean, the Broncos are, Broncos are hot on their tail at this point, too. So it, things could get interesting in the AFC West. Um, we'll ultimately see how that all pans out. But... But I mean, to keep the focus on the Bills, JJ, this was a this was a game that they needed. And as agonizing and as as sweat drenched as I was watching that, I feel like in this moment, that is exactly the way they needed to win this game. They needed the offense 
to turn the ball over to that defense with under two minutes left in the fourth quarter and sort of exercise these demons of giving up all of these late game leads. JJ, this is the fifth time the Buffalo Bills have been ahead of an opponent with less than two minutes in the fourth quarter this season. And they are now, as a result of this win, one in four in those games. This is absolutely, I think, the way the Bills needed to win this game. And I think, too, Steve Spagnola, as he often does, had a great game plan against Josh Allen. Brought a lot of heat, brought a lot of pressure. And as we talked about in the pregame, Josh Allen against the Blitz generally has been excellent in his career. Josh Allen, his last five games against the, the Kansas City Chiefs Blitz, has completed under 50% of his overall passes, and it's where he throws the most of his picks. And the pressure on Allen tonight was hot and heavy uh, throughout the course of the game. There were a couple of imperfections, and I think this is really the first time I think we saw Brady, uh, Joe Brady lacking as a play caller. And the big thing to me, JJ, was the the variance in play in, uh, play sequencing from first half to second half. In the first half, they seemed very committed to the run and very, very committed to getting their wide receiver, um, getting their running backs involved in the game plan. Flash forward to the third quarter, and they seemed to almost be forcing the issue to Diggs and some of these outside guys that had not gotten involved in the game. This, to me, feels like a young play caller trying to get all of his stars and all of his weapons as equally involved as he can. But in that moment, Brady should have stuck with what has been his strength over this, this run as play caller for the Buffalo Bills, and that is throwing against the opposing team the thing that they cannot defend or defend poorly until they prove they can stop it. And the Chiefs did not prove they could stop the run. James Cook was a man on fire in the first half. He should have had 250 total yards and 30-plus touches in this game. But he was an absolute non-factor in the second half until... Um, until the Bills' final field goal drive of the game. So I, there are definitely, I think, some things. And listen, Brady is not the experienced play caller that Spags is on the other side of the ball. This might have been sort of the old master teaching the young kid a lesson or two. And hopefully the Bills uh, or Brady will take some things that he can learn from this game as well. But uh, offensively was not, I think, the effort, the, the gutsy effort outside of Josh Allen, that the defensive side of the ball put out. Well, and I think that what what I saw in the, you know, in the second half that Spags was doing so effectively that really kind of foiled Joe Brady's scheme was he was doing a little bit more of showing loaded stuffed boxes and then either backing out or just basically he was lulling Joe Brady into the belief that there was over-the-top um, opportunities and then bringing so much pressure or clogging so many of the passing lanes by late, you know, drops into middle zones and robber coverages that really it was a situation where Josh Allen's only open option. He could have had things over the top, but Spagnolo knew that there was not going to be a four second clean pocket for Josh Allen to be able to see all of his over the top options. Like Gabe Davis, you know, on the field goal drive, he completely missed Gabe Davis wide open in the end zone, a blown coverage. Because the pressure was too heavy that he wasn't able to get an angle on it and see that, you know, Gabe Davis was there. And so that's the kind of thing that, you know, hopefully Joe Brady is able to study this film after he goes back and see, okay, this is how Spagnuolo was playing me, was was trying to lull me into shooting for the outside, outside the number throws or over the deep over the middle third throws. Um, 
but knowing full well that none of those passes would ever develop because of the pressure that the Bills were giving up up, up front. And I think that, you know, some of that was on a couple of times I saw it look like Josh Allen made the wrong uh, protection slide. Um, but that's what you expect against this defense. The Kansas City Chiefs are, what, like seventh in the league in sack rate? Um, they're right up there with the Bills as one of the best teams at bringing the quarterback down and getting pressure consistently. And, and they fourth showed and to- fourth yeah. in total sacks, too. Yep. Yeah. Seventh and, seventh and sacks rate. Fourth in total sacks. Yeah, they they absolutely did. It was, uh, and I might not be talking so um, respectfully of this unit had the Bills not won this game. Because I think similar to that two thousand, similar to that uh, twenty twenty one AFC Championship game that these two teams played, these DBs for the Chiefs, they were getting a lot of love by Romo um, for their coverage. They were basically draped all over these Bills wide receivers. They were just doing penalties. And, they and, were. And, and, yeah. That's it, right? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay, now I get why teams like Sauce Gardner because yeah. like all, all you need is a DB that holds guys all the way down the field. So my question is, why is Kyrie Lum not getting playing time? For right, because he's Cause that good seems, at that. We've he's seen really that. good at that. Right, he's, he's really very good, good at, at that. doing penalties. Yeah, yeah that's and it's the modern NFL way to to cover you know wide receivers is just penalize them. Absolutely, and listen, we're we're fans. Like we 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 are going to complain about the refs. I think no matter what. So I, I don't want to make this one about you know the Bills got so many calls and the Chiefs got so many calls because I think overall the the refs called a very consistent game. Like there were points where Taron Johnson, there were points where Christian Benford, cause he couldn't seem to keep up with anybody, yeah. anybody today. There were times where they also got away with some holds and some DPI down the field and stuff like that. I will say the refs called a consistent game, if not an aggravating game for the amount of stuff that they ultimately missed. Um, but they got it right against Tony, which I really appreciate yes. <laughs> for once. Yeah. For once, it does. It feels like it feels like in this game, uh, Patrick Mahomes got a taste of what it was like to be Josh Allen with your wide receivers dropping balls, calls not going your way on every single play and every single down. It, Mahomes had to work through a little bit of adversity tonight, I think, and um, and he didn't react well to it. JJ, he didn't <laughs> react well to it at all. Not at all. Yep. I'm looking at my phone here because um, I'm curious as what the press. Uh, post-game conferences are going to unveil. And Mahomes was very honest. The headline is, you know, Mahomes rips refs for that that Tony offsides call. And I get it, but, like, Pat, go back and look at the film, my friend. Like, he was... Just it was so obvious, yeah. Right, it was a very clear penalty. I'm sorry that Travis Kelsey can't bail you out of yet another bad performance, but, like, right. yeah. yeah, I mean, just, just take it and live with it, man. I'm sorry that none of these refs are big Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> oh, my God. Mercifully, mercifully, Kelsey was. And listen, we're huge Swifties in this house. My daughter loves Taylor Swift. Um... For now, three years in a row, Taylor Swift has been my number one artist on my Spotify oh, yes. end of year wrapped, right? Yes. Um, just for that message that she sends all her fans, my daughter eats that stuff up, right? That's awesome. Um, so yeah, no, listen, no no shade at the Swifties, but I was it was merciful how poor Kelsey played in this game that there were so few cutaways to Taylor Swift because my daughter was watching the game <laughs> and I don't yeah. need my daughter becoming a Chiefs fan. Right. Oh, Taylor oh Swift, roots, yeah. can you imagine? I, I didn't. I didn't give her up for adoption, but she's also like, she's you, also my you, favorite one in the house. You like that kid, <laughs> dude? She's pretty good. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, that was that's something. But like, that's something that I think is is a talking point that I want to do like thirty seconds on. Um, Kel- Travis Kelsey. I know he had like a like knee contusion. 
thigh contusion. He had some sort of early preseason injury yeah. that held him out for a couple games. He don't he don't look right. He yeah. doesn't look right. That's, he that's don't the look whole right. that's the only point I want to make is he does not look he does not look fast or agile like usual. And that's something that's noticeable. And that's probably a major piece of why the Chiefs have been productive on offense aside from Isaiah Pachenko. Losing Pachenko in this game for this game, I think, was huge because yeah. the the Chiefs were making hay I, um, in the run game, even without him. And 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 again, like the Bills, they they kind of went away from it. I think they stuck a little bit more consistently to it in the third quarter, which is what got them back in it. Yeah. But they went away from it in the fourth. Yeah. And JJ, I I can't believe why both of these teams were absolutely running the ball down each other's throats. And I get. They've, we both have, both of these squads have all world QBs, but I mean, to back away from the thing that's working and this game was never, never such a, such a point differential between these two teams yeah. where you needed to go so pass heavy. It really wasn't. Yeah. At no point was either squad, either side in a position where they needed three quick scores, right? Like it was always close, you know, and I think the chief is surprisingly, especially because the chiefs were down two scores. And use the run to get to close the gap and tie the game. Like that was, you know, their method for doing it. So I, I was more surprised that they went away from it and less surprised that Joe Brady went away from it because of what you said. I think it was the kind of thing where he he, Josh Allen, certainly Stefan Diggs, maybe even Gabe Davis, was like calling for the ball, right? Like get get let's hit him over the top, let's do some things. Because Spagnolo was was he was keeping one single high safety and playing a lot of man coverage and sending the house. He was baiting Josh. He was baiting Josh. Yeah. He was baiting him into throwing it outside the numbers, knowing that his DBs were holding basically the whole time and probably a ball wouldn't be able to get in there. Um, And so it worked for, you know, that defense worked for them and Joe Brady, you know, his, his plan for the second half kind of, he fell right into a trap. It looked like. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I I think something, like you said, he can watch the film and can hopefully learn from it because we are about to go up against another really de- uh, aggressive defense and aggressive defensive play caller in the Dallas Cowboys and their DC Dan Quinn in Buffalo this upcoming weekend to try to keep this playoff this playoff run alive, my friend. Um, it, it, so JJ, I think in summation here, you know what were your two or three big takeaways from this game? So first of all, Josh Allen is still Josh Allen. I think that he he looks like I expect him to look for the rest of the season, and I think that he's the reason the Bills will have an opportunity at the end. He and and James Cook look amazing, right? So it's, we'll see what kind of the game shakes out in terms of injury wise to see what the roster looks like going into the the Cowboys game. But I think that Josh Allen is Josh Allen, and we can all kind of count on you know as long as he continues this level of play, we're going to be in it to the end. Um, that's one of my key takeaways. The other key takeaway is that the defense showed up and was a little bit more plucky at times when they needed to be. It was nice to see at Oliver make a, a game impacting play other than just being consistently pressuring up the middle. He made a, like a real game turning play um, with that tip ball. So that was wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a good, it was a gut check game. And, you know, I think you could see in Sean McDermott has had a heck of a week. Um, his reaction on the sideline when that fourth and 15 ball fell incomplete uh, looked like the big exhalation that you hope gives him, you know, the confidence going forward to really put the game in Josh Allen's hands and, and do some other things. Cause he got one. He finally got one. Yep. He did. And he got one in the way that he needed to 
No, JJ, I think that's really well said. I think my takeaways are defenses in the NFL are not built to stop a guy as dynamic as James Cook. I think the league overall is written off running backs. And when you look at how modern defenses are constructed with light boxes, basically everybody playing nickel, everyone wanting to play three cornerbacks and two linebackers in this league. Um, I think there is a world where a guy like James Cook can do a lot of damage and keep this offense moving at times where it stalls out because everyone is focused on locking down your outside weapons. JJ, I would be so bold as to say that right now in this moment, and again, this is reaction pod, so don't hold this against me. Outside of Josh Allen, our most dynamic playmaker on the offense is James Cook. And Cook needs to be the needs to be featured in the offense, not just in this crazy rotation they've got with Ty Johnson, who I thought Ty Johnson had some great burst, great acceleration, turned the corner a lot of these outside zone runs a lot quicker than I expected him to. But enough with this enough with this platoon between Murray and Ty and Cook. You've got to give the bulk of these snaps to Cook. He needs to be touching the ball at least 25 to 27 times a game in both the passing game and the run game. Because modern NFL defenses are not built to commit a guy to stop someone as dynamic as that. So that was my first takeaway. I was that impressed with James Cook. And not not to mention also, James Cook is not he's not a frail running back. He's kind of light in the light in the lower body and, and kind of, you know, lanky a little bit. But he he seems to hold up in contact way better than I expect him to. His like, contact balance yeah, is incredible. People come in and crack him, and he somehow always spins it into an extra two or three yards when you'd expect him just to get gobbled up. So, you know, and, and I do agree with you. I think that a rotation, if it's a rotation, should be kind of scrapped and just give Cook those touches. I do know at least three or four plays in the game when he was rolling, he called for somebody to come from the sidelines. He, you know, you saw him running off the field after a 16 or 17 yard gain and, and grabbing some, somebody coming for him. So well, after five, five straight touches and <laughs> straight touches in sprinting, five gains yeah. of 10 yards or more. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I'd be there tired was, too. Yeah. I was tired watching him. Well, and it's funny because at, at that point in time, I remember him like waving for, you know, relief and somebody coming, probably Ty Johnson coming in for him. That he like sort of wasn't back in the game for after that. Like, I wonder if there was something. That he, what if he dings something up that we don't know about because it wasn't he didn't get on the field? So there's a possibility that that changed things for Joe Brady because I don't even remember him being in the lineup for a, a couple of series. Yeah, he was out of the lineup for a couple of series, and I you could be right. I I just chalked it up to this this offensive staff does not know how to platoon these guys. Yeah. Like, I, and I I don't understand the logic behind it. And we encountered some of this too with the Zach Moss, Devin Singletary era where it never seemed like they knew who to keep in, you know, for certain stretches. And I'll say this too. I think I might have the answer for you. Even if cook is healthy, they might have pulled him and put in Latavius Murray because of the blocking pass block. If they wanted to lean into the pass and they wanted to have a personal protector back there for Josh Allen, that's Latavius Murray. That's the person you want there over James Cook. Yeah, that changes the dynamic of the offense in a bad way, though. I agree. I agree. It takes away. It takes away another route tree, another pass catcher, another offensive threat. Not that. Not that Murray is is wholly ineffective. I mean, he had he had probably he had the catch saving, of the game, yeah. right? Right, catch and, and then fumble f- of the fumbled game. it, and then fumble and knock it out of bounds. Play, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. right. So yeah. that's no shade at Murray, but he. But again. 
Cook was almost single-handedly negating the pass rush because they had to account for his running yep. and his ability to get yards after the catch. So I, he to me, and, and again, I know Stefan Diggs is still on this this roster, and I think Diggs deserves a lot of credit too because when you look at the broadcast cameras cutting to the sideline, he's always chirping at guys in a good way to keep yep. them energized, keep them focused. He's always in Gabe Davis here about the next thing that they should be doing. And credit to Gabe, Gabe, Gabe Davis too. Those are two. Those are the two primary receiving options on this team. And Stefan Diggs is a, is a bona fide superstar. Not neither of them were getting the touches they probably wanted in this game. Yet they were on the sideline, keeping the team invested, keeping everybody's energy up. That's what leaders do. That's what team captains do. So credit to them when on the field things weren't necessarily falling their way. Off the field, they were able to keep this team juiced up and in it. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yep. And, and then. I, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say one more thing about Stefan Diggs. You know, somebody else posted like the photo of uh, Pat Mahomes losing his mind to the refs. And they were, <laughs> and it just said like, imagine if Stefan Diggs had this reaction on the sideline, what the, what the stories would look like. Trade him. He wants out of Buffalo. Mahomes yeah. wants out of Kansas City. Kelsey's too distracted with Taylor That's Swift. Right. He wants out. He hates the coach. That's right. <laughs> he wants Andy Reid out. <laughs> oh my right? God. Can you imagine? Jesus. Yeah. Um, and then JJ, I think my final takeaway from this game, you already, you already took the Josh Allen one, which I, I appreciate because someone's got to go there. Um, I think outside of James Cook, the defense, while it held today, we definitely have a CB2 problem. I think that that was very clear. Benford did not have a great game. Um, Razul Douglas, I mean, he was almost, he was, he was the personal bodyguard on Travis Kelsey for a lot of this game. Yeah. I had no idea that dude could play that physical, but he's, he is a, he continues to surprise and delight to me as someone who can cover your best wide receiver, though that will be tested um, against CeeDee Lamb and Keenan Allen and, yeah. and Tyree Kill. But he seems to be a guy right now that can cover your wide receiver one, but has some athletic chops in order to cover whoever your primary weapon might be, might be which I think is great. But to me, it creates an even starker contrast with the drop-off from Douglas to whoever it is that's going to yeah. be playing on the other side of him. To anyone else, like, you know, whether it's Dane Jackson or whether it's Christian yep. Benford or whether it's... And who, maybe it's Kyrie Lam. I think that, you know, the the practice window is back open for him coming off IR. He wasn't ready to go today. But if if it really was an injury that was holding him out... Maybe. It maybe, then... I'm interested to see if they they lean into him and bring him on the field because I agree. If you have a situation where you need more more capable corners on the field than just Rasul Douglas and Taron Johnson, you're in trouble. Like if you need to cover three targets with some level of athleticism, you are absolutely in trouble. Well, they're going to need to figure out a way to cover C.D. Lamb and Brandon Cooks coming up this weekend. Yep. So that is uh, that is going to be very interesting. Um, also worth 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 keeping in mind. Uh, the health of Micah Hyde yep. um, when you're going into a game, not to get too much into the Dallas game, but when you're going into a game with legi two legitimate deep threat threats and Lamb and Cooks, um, could be a long day if Micah Hyde is not fully ready to go, despite the decline in play that he's seen this year. Yeah. So, Jade, oh yeah, I was going to say, what do you want to do? Uh, let's let's jump <laughs> to a, a quick like recap of the day before the Bills game. Just to, like the Patriots, of course, come up come up big and win against the Steelers. We saw that one. Um, the Bengals beat the Colts, which is what we wanted to do. 
But then the rest of the games didn't land the same way. We wanted the Jags to beat the Browns. The Browns won that one. We wanted the Broncos to lose to the Chargers, but the Chargers lost that. And they possibly lost Justin Herbert, who went out of that game with a uh, injury to his throwing hand. So that'll be interesting to monitor for the next two weeks because the the Bills have Cowboys and then Chargers. Yep. And, and, And you wonder, too. Are they are they going to let Brandon Staley finish out the season there? Like their their season is pretty done in L.A. If Herbert is also done, you you might as well pack it in and start the the off season off season scheduling now and move on from your head coach and put everybody out there that's on notice that hey we are looking for someone to come develop our stud QB. So yeah, L.A. just in generally just is a, a situation that is in, uh, interesting to still keep an eye on JJ. Um, at Jacksonville, man, like they seem like such frauds at this point. I think back to that London game and I'm like, man, we, we should have had that one. But moreover, like, is Trevor Lawrence good? Like, are we, are we <laughs> sure about this? Is he good? No. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, I like, cause it's weird, right? Like he, Trevor Lawrence, was he in his third year? He's in his third year. Okay. And he Trevor seems Lawrence, to have hit a plateau. Yeah, well, what, that's what I mean. Is like tr- the best Trevor Lawrence we've seen is all like Josh Allen's rookie season level. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's the situation where you're like, wow, only like one guy or four guys in the world can make that throw. It looks amazing. Then it's like five con- consecutive plays where you're like, why would you do that? Like that's a terrible choice. Yeah, yeah. He d- so, he doesn't seem to be growing and progressing at no. all. At a rate that you would put someone with his draft pedigree and draft rating on, um, and yeah, well, that o- that offense is just disjointed. I mean, I just I don't know what to make of it. And who? How do you? How much do you pack? You know, pack in on Trevor Lawrence, and how much do you chalk up to the coaching and kind of player development ca- capabilities of the Jaguars? Yeah, I mean, this happened with Peterson in Philly. Although, granted, Peterson did did squeeze a a championship out of Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, but you saw the plateau of Carson Wentz happen after that 2017 season. It was MVP level, got injured. His best season after that was maybe 2020, maybe 2019 after that. Um, but it, it, you've seen similar things happen, and you wonder if if Peterson is the guy to get them over the hump. It se- seems odd to say for a coach who has won a Super Bowl with a backup QB in spectacular fashion. I think the Philly special will still go down in history as one of the greatest Super Bowl plays of all time. But um, it seems weird to say that, but, I mean, the, the proof is kind of there. Two years now in the system, and Lawrence doesn't seem any more proficient or any more comfortable in it. And I say that, JJ, because if the Bills can somehow wade through the quagmire of the Clevelands, the Indianapolises, the Cincinnatis, and the Pittsburghs and find their way in, I would argue that other than Miami... There is not a team in the top four that really scares me as a Bills fan. And the only reason Miami does, I know we've got that big win against them. We are not the same defense that we were when we played that yeah. team. And that defense, granted Phillips is out, has progressed. And now have they equalized it enough to to close a 21-point gap? I, I don't know. But that is a team that seems right now the most well-rounded on both sides of the ball. Um I was watching some of the Ravens Ravens Rams game today and Zay Flowers man that kid can play for Baltimore but two I look at that offense at points and I'm like it it looks disjointed it looks uneven they don't look like they have a script beyond the first 5 or 10 plays 
So I, I, other than Lamar, go make something happen. Yep. Um, and he's great at doing that. That defense feels somehow the Baltimore defense is performing in every major statistical category in a top five rate. And Mike McDonald's doing a great job um, coaching that defense. But then I look at the guys on the roster and I'm like, is that sustainable? Is that real? Right. Like today they played a real quarterback with we real wide receivers and Matt Stafford, uh, Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup, and they got absolutely shredded. Yeah. Like, so I, I don't know who's real. So I say all of that, bringing it back to the Bills and that if the Bills can get in, there's maybe one team that really scares me. Um heading into a, a postseason run here. So we'll see. And and that one team that scares you is a team that Josh Allen has absolutely made his children in the past. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Jalen, so. Jalen Ramsey still thinks Josh Allen sucks. So yeah. let's not forget about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, other things to keep an eye on a little bit. You mentioned Mike Hyde, also AJ Epineza after looking like he was going to have a man on fire game out with rib injury. Yep. So maybe, maybe out for the next, next game. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I think that, you know, it was a good one. It, it was tight. Um, we both predicted the bills to win, but we both predicted it to be a sc higher scoring affair. You had the bills getting over 30. I had them getting 28. Um, and both of us had them winning by more than a touchdown. Not none of that happened, but they, they got the dub. Um, they got Patrick Mahomes on the ground one time, which was less than we thought they would. And, uh, they did get an interception, which we both picked the over interception. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a it was a productive day for the defense for sure. Uh, so JJ, one more thing to keep an eye on for all of our listeners at home. Um, this is going to be JJ's last pod for a short amount of time, an, an undeterminable amount of time, because uh, our boy on the other side of this pod is expecting a baby boy this week. Very excited for you, JJ. Congratulations. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, um, you know, we're we're gonna bring home our first child this week, and uh, and at that point, I will be um, week to week on yes, the pod. Absolutely. We'll we yeah, not not IR maybe, but probably you know week to week. You know, did not participate. Absolutely. What uh, what day are you expecting to uh, to bring home uh, young Bryce? Thursday or Friday. All right. Um, please sleep for the next 72 hours you're gonna need you're gonna need it my friend you're gonna absolutely that. need it but congratulations to you congratulations to your uh your wonderful wife maya and uh it, it is awesome that you're gonna be a dad man i'm very excited, excited. for you awesome yeah, all right so uh how that impacts the pod is almost inconsequential because nothing is bigger than life stuff but for those of you curious we are going to have a guest host or two lined up this week and then Depending on JJ's availability, we may be pulling some more of our guest hosts off the bench. But until then, for those of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, and as always, go Bills. Go Babies. Go Babies.